Well, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you uh, once again, God, for bringing us together. And God, we thank you for the privilege, Father, where we have uh, your word, God, that we can study without any fear of persecution, God. And um, we pray that we would take advantage of this, God, that you would help us to strengthen our minds, God, as we um, prepare to look into your word, God, and to try to figure out, God, everything that Paul says about your gospel, Father, so that we can have the same gospel and same understanding. And, Father, I just pray for Angie today, God, in the hospital. Father, we pray that you'd have mercy on her, God, that you'd give her body grace, that you would restore her. Father, that you would bring us back, uh, bring her back to our fellowship, God, so that we can um, minister to her and, and love on her. And we just pray for her in the hospital that you would be gracious to her, God. Give the, the doctors there wisdom, Father, on how to um, work on her body, Father. So we just pray for her and pray that your spirit would comfort her even now, God, as she's not able to come to church. We pray that she would um, be drawn to you, God, even in this hour. And, Father, most of all, we thank you um, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that Christ was raised from the dead, that, um, that death could not hold him, that you were pleased with his sacrifice, Father. We thank you that we have a risen Lord, Father, that conquered death, that, that will assure us also of our resurrections. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to worship you today because of the resurrection, God, and, and everything that that means to us. God, we thank you for your word again. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, last week, um, we pretty much camped out in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And the reason I wanted to camp out there was because what I said last week, that this is really um, the place where Paul spells out his gospel message. Paul there very clearly and repeatedly in verse 16 explained what his gospel was. He says that we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. And we know that this is the reason that Paul wrote this book. Paul wrote the book of Galatians because there's some people coming into the churches uh, we call them Judaizers because of what they taught. But these Judaizers came into the church in Galatia and were attempting to add to the gospel. They were attempting to say that, um, that faith in Christ was not enough to truly be a part of the people of God, that one needed to uh, take on circumcision and other um, works of the law. And so this is why Paul wrote the book, and this is what we're studying. And so I think just for the sake of context, I want to read those verses again. Just because this is Paul's gospel, this is everything that he's spoken of up to this point, and this is the basis for everything he's going to say in the rest of the book. This is Paul's gospel, and so I just wanted to read, or maybe if, if somebody would, would somebody volunteer to read um, verses 15 and 16 for us, again from chapter 2? Yes, sir. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Yeah, that's right. This is Paul's gospel, that we're justified, that we're made right, we're declared righteous by God based on faith and not by the works of the law. Um, so we, we really were there all class last week. Um, I think it's it's pretty straightforward message it's the same message that we hear from Paul in the book of Romans, same message that we hear from Paul in the book of Ephesians, that we're saved by faith and not by works. Um, so we're going to move on today. We're going to look at verse 17 is where we'll pick up. 
And what I think Paul is doing here in verse 17 is he's really addressing um, what I think is, is, is quite possibly the most common objection, um, and, and it seems to be a natural objection to the gospel that says one saved by faith apart from the works of the law. And I think that the objection that most raise is what we call antinomianism. Does anybody have a good definition for antinomianism that they might want to share? Yes, sir? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Anti-law. Antinomianism. Which the accusation would be that if you're saved by faith and you're not saved by um, the works of the law, then that might lead one to assume that you can live a lawless life and that the law has no effect on one's life. Right? That would be, I think, what Paul's addressing here in verse 17. And so let's see what Paul says um, in verse 17 here. And, I, and, and just to add, I think this is probably a direct response to what the Judaizers would have been accusing Paul's gospel of teaching. Right? Because Paul, very similarly in Romans chapter 6, if you remember Romans chapter 6, he addresses really the same thing. In the book of Romans up to chapter 6, all through chapter 5, he's, he's taught the, the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And so when he gets to Romans chapter 6, he addresses the same issue, I think, that um, people say, well, you know, if, if, if you're saved by grace apart from the law, then you can do whatever you want with the law, right? So Paul addresses that in Romans 6 in, the, in a similar fashion. Um, and I, so I think this is what the Judaizers would have been accusing Paul's gospel of doing. It would have been leading to antinomianism to... To, for one to think that the law has no bearing on their life. Um, verse 17, Paul says this. He says, But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be, Paul says. So what Paul is saying, Paul's saying, does it follow that because we're seeking to be made righteous by faith and not by the works of the law, it, does that then mean that Christ's gospel leads to lawlessness? If the law is not how we're saved and that doesn't have any bearing on our salvation, does Christ's gospel then encourage lawlessness? And Paul says, may it never be. The same reply he gives in Romans chapter 6. Um, so, so Paul's answer now, going on in verse 18, is he's going to show these Judaizers and he's going to show the churches in Galatia what will actually produce lawlessness. If they want to see lawlessness, if they want to see sin being produced, he's going to show them what indeed is a minister of sin. Paul says in verse 18, For if I rebuild what I once have destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And so the system here, what Paul's talking about, what he's rebuilding, would have been this system of works righteousness that he once held to. The Apostle Paul, in his own description of, of his view of the law, like, for, for instance, in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about how he prided himself in keeping the law. And he, he was seeking his justification before God by the law. He says that he had kept the law perfectly um, in his view. And so what I think the Apostle Paul is saying here is, is if he rebuilds that system of works righteousness, of being made justified by the law, all that will do is prove himself to be a sinner. Now, we haven't really read on the rest of chapter 3 that explains this, but does anybody know how that works or why Paul would be saying that? Why is it that if Paul says, if I, if I try to be saved by the law again, if I try to justify myself by the law, why does he say all that's going to do is prove that I'm a sinner? All he says is that's going to prove that I'm a transgressor. Now, why would that be? 
Any clue? Because we're not perfect. We can't. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. That's right. That's it. That we'll see later on in chapter 3 that the purpose of the law is to show you your sin. It's not a system of, of salvation by which we can be good enough because we can't. So Paul's saying um, to these Judaizers who are, who are pleading to turn to, for the Galatians to turn to the law, and, and he's accusing his, they're accusing his gospel of being one that produces sin, that produces lawlessness. Paul's saying if you want to see lawlessness, try to be perfect. Try to keep the law. That will prove nothing but that you're a sinner because it's impossible to keep the law. Um, the Apostle Paul knows the proper use and the proper function of the law. He understands it. And in verse 19, this is what he says about the law. Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And so what we're to do is we're to die to the law in the sense that we no longer use the law, we no longer seek the law to be made righteous. We die to the law in that sense, right? And that's what Paul had done. We're not looking to the law to provide our justification. Um, and it's actually through the law that shows us we are sinners. So we use the law in that sense and then we die to it. We see that the law shows us our sin and when we discard the law at that point um, in trying to be made righteous. And Paul, this is what Paul had done. This is exactly what Paul had done with the law. He says in verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so Paul had he'd given up the attempt to, to climb the rope of sand into heaven, which is the law. Right? It's an impossibility. As soon as you begin to try to climb that, that rope of self-righteousness, the law is going to show you that you've broken it in some aspect. It's hopeless. And so Christ says that he's, he's crucified. His old self, his old self in Adam, his old self of, of gaining self-righteousness through the law, he died to that with Christ. And so we see it, at that point it's no longer Paul who lives. He says, but it's Christ who lives in me. Right? So now Paul has union with Christ. Christ lives in Paul. And so I think um, what, is, what is really amazing about this, what's miraculous about this union of Christ that you have by faith, is that it does not lead to lawlessness. Because if Christ is living in you by the Spirit, what is that going to produce? Is that going to produce lawlessness? Not at all. Christ is going to encourage you to please God. That's why Paul says there that he lives to God. Um, it's just like uh, Jesus himself said in John 8. He says that he always does what pleases the Father. He always does what pleases the Father. So when you believe, you become um, indwelled by the Spirit. This is how Christ is in you, through the Spirit. And of course, if Christ is in you, you're going you're gonna to become more and more Christ-like. You're going you're gonna to please the Father more and more. It's not going to lead to lawlessness. And that's what Paul, I think, is trying to explain right here. Verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And I think this really shows us just the disgusting teaching of, of works righteousness. We see how disgusting it is. Because to, to not fully rely on the work of Christ, to not fully rely on what, what God has provided in his grace, um, it, it makes Christ's sacrifice of no value. He says at that point Christ died needlessly if you're going to attempt to earn your own righteousness. 
And so that would be a disgusting thought to the Apostle Paul. Um, we either put all of our faith in what Christ has done, or we attempt um, to have some righteousness of our own. And, and so I think we also see from this verse that there's no mixing of the two. There's no mixing of, of faith and works. Because as soon as you leave um, Christ and what he's done in his righteousness, um, you're calling into question his sacrifice, and you're really throwing it out the door at that point. Um, and so I think that's, that's another reason that we talked about earlier why uh, we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of our works. It has to do with the glory of God. And as soon as we attempt to, to earn our own righteousness in the sight of God, it takes away from what Christ has done. And that's, and that's really the, the grave error, is to take away from the glory of Christ and what he's done. Yes, sir. Do you have some? I was just going to say that grace plus anything is, by definition, no longer grace. That's right. Yeah. At that point, once you have anything to it, then it's earned and payment and yeah. works. Yeah, that's right. It's no longer grace. And that's the point, is so that it will be by grace. It's why it's through faith. Right, as Pastor Miller pointed out last week. Yeah, that's right. Um, so now that, that's the end of chapter 2. In chapter 2, we saw Paul's gospel, and we saw what it is and what it isn't. We saw that one saved by faith, um, apart from works. It's not of works, and it's also not antinomianism. It doesn't lead to, to a lawless lifestyle. Um, so now what Paul's going to do in chapter 3 is Paul's going to show the Galatian churches that they should, they should understand and they should know that this gospel of justification by faith is true, that they should know this even based on their own experience. Paul's going to show them that even, even from their own experience and receiving the Holy Spirit, that they should believe what Paul is saying about the gospel being by faith alone. And this is what Paul says to them in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? And so this is extremely strong language that Paul's using here, if you notice it. Um, and surprisingly, this, this strong language that Paul's using is not directed to the false teachers here, but it's actually directed to those in the church. He's directing this right to the Galatians, these people who have believed another gospel and are being um, influenced by it. The Apostle Paul calls them foolish, not once but twice here. Um, they're foolish for for beginning by the Spirit and by faith alone and by, and by beginning to lean on their own law-keeping. And I think the way Paul says this here in verse 2, if you look at verse 2, Paul says what he says in verse 2 as if, as if this one point should end the entire debate. Paul says this as if this should prove it to the, uh, the Galatians once and for all. In verse 2 he said, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so I think Paul's argument is very simple when he's saying, does it make any sense that you were justified by faith, 
that you received the Spirit of God by faith, that you were put into the family of God by faith, that you're even, in verse 5, have miracles being worked amongst you by faith. Does it make any sense that God's going to give you all these spiritual blessings by faith and then expect you to earn some type of um, better standing in his family later by works? Right? It makes no sense. Paul's saying you should know simply by your experience that all of the blessings of God come by faith and not by works because they've already experienced and accumulated so many um, spiritual blessings already. And so Paul's telling them that they're justified by faith, they're sanctified by faith, and they're going to be kept, the people of God, by faith. You're not to go on to works in, in working out your salvation in the flesh after being justified. And that's what Paul's showing them. By their own experience, they should know that this is true. Um, so now Paul in verse 6 is going to move on. Paul showed them the example of uh, their own experience, but now he's going to speak to the experience of someone else, someone very important. He's going to show them through the great example of Abraham how that they can know, how that they can be fully assured that they're justified by faith and not by works. Um, and I put just as an intro to this section on Abraham, I think Abraham is a very um, great example of justification by faith alone to know. He's a, he's a great example to understand and to be able to prove biblically, just as Paul does, that Abraham was justified by faith alone. And I, and I think that he's so important for, for the simple reason that pretty much anybody you run into that is, um, quote-unquote, a biblically-based religion, Anybody who claims Abraham, which most do, Jews, Islam, Christian, they all tip the hat to Abraham. They all think that they fall in line with the religion of Abraham, right? Um, so it's very, it's very important to be able to prove from the scripture that even Abraham was justified by faith and not by works of the law, right? It's very important. Abraham is, is very important even to... To other groups that I, that I would say even, even tip the hat to the Bible, Roman Catholicism, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, um, they all believe that they're in line with this religion of Abraham. They all think that they are justified the same way that Abraham was, and they'll even try to argue with you from James chapter 2 that Abraham was not justified by faith, right? We saw that when we went through the book of James. Uh, so I think it's not only important to understand what James is actually teaching about Abraham and justification in that book, but also to understand what Paul's saying here about Abraham and about his justification. So Abraham is a great example to understand. And so and this is one point where I would say this might even be worth more study. Right? Go study where Paul explains pretty much the same thing, for instance, in Romans chapter 4, which we don't have time to get to. Uh, but there again, Paul makes the same argument based on Abraham, based on how Abraham was saved, we can prove the doctrine of justification by faith alone over and against every other, every other religion, right? And another interesting point that I just have, want to add about Abraham is this, is that the Apostle Paul's using the example of Abraham to argue for justification by faith alone to Gentiles, to the Galatian churches, Right, so this shows me a couple of things. This, te this tells me, one, that to argue for Abraham in the Old Testament scriptures about Abraham back in Genesis means that Paul would have taught these Galatians, these Gentiles, a very historic faith, a, a faith rooted in the Old Testament, a faith rooted in, in redemptive history based on Abraham and everything he did. Right, because how would, how would these Gentiles know Abraham if it wasn't for Paul having instructed them out of the Old Testament? 
right? And the other thing that's important to know is that the Judaizers likewise, I think, would have been arguing their case based on Abraham. In Genesis 17, we see where God commands circumcision to Abraham and to all his descendants, right? I think this would have been a, a huge part of the Judaizers' argument. But Paul, on the contrary, uses, uses Abraham to prove that we're justified by faith, not even by circumcision, right? Paul actually deals specifically with that in Romans with the circumcision um, aspect of it. But here we're going to see Abraham, the great Abraham, the father of the faith, the father of all the faiths, really, um, being used to prove, and then I keep saying that because Paul's going to say, therefore you can be sure that we are saved and justified by faith alone, based on Abraham. So let's look at that. In verse 6, Paul says, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And so first thing we see there in verse 6, we see Abraham's means of justification, of his being justified, his being made righteous. We see how this happens. This is a quote in verse 6 from Genesis 15:6, it says that he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was counted to him. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, what's another word for that? What's another word for being reckoned to be righteous or to be counted righteous by God? To be justified, right? This is Abraham's justification right here. And so what is it that Abraham believed? Um, I don't think we got to chapter 15 with John in, in the book of Genesis. I don't think we got this far. But does anybody know what promise it was that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed? Anybody off the top of their head? This was the promise where um, you have the aging Abram um, without an heir. Abram wanted an heir. He wanted a descendant. And God told him, look to the stars. As many stars you see in heaven, this is how many descendants I will give to you. Right? Abraham believed God's promise, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, so now, because Abraham was counted righteous by believing God's promise, Paul says in verse 7, and this is very important, I think, to the whole argument, he says, Therefore, be sure, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. In other words, it was not by Abraham's circumcision, it was not by Abraham's law-keeping, uh, which is what the Judaizers are teaching. They're teaching, they would have been teaching that even Abraham was justified by these things, um, that he was made a, a people of God by these things. But on the contrary, Abraham was justified by believing in the promise of the coming Messiah. And so one might ask, how did Abraham's faith in this promise of God about having descendants, how is that... Um, how does that relate to Abraham having faith in Jesus Christ and the Messiah, right? Because we believe that everyone is saved in the same way throughout all of redemptive history, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament saints are saved by looking forward to the Messiah and the sacrifice of the Messiah and his death. Um, and we look back to the death of Jesus Christ, right? We're all saved the same way. 
but we might be wondering, since we just talked about this promise here from Genesis 15 that was for Abraham to have descendants, many of them, how is it that um, Abraham would have been directed to Christ with that promise? Well, let's look at verse 8 now, because this, this verse is actually going to quote a, a previous verse from the book of Genesis that really shows to us, I think, the fact that God has already been dropping hints to Abram. God's already been dropping hints to Abram about the redemptive significance of these promises. Right? Look at, look at the next verse in verse 8. It says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. And so I know we got here with John, because I remember this is the very first communication that God had with Abram at all. And it was this promise that God gave to him that all the nations will be blessed in him. The very first thing that God said to Abram. Um, so for Paul to say that this promise here was the gospel being preached to Abraham, this is a huge statement, isn't it? For Abraham to have in Genesis 12, the gospel being proclaimed to him is huge. Amen. Um, and look at verse 8. Look just how specific the content of this gospel promise was. It says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's pretty specific, isn't it? The gospel that God would even save others, the whole world, um, by the death of Christ and would justify them by faith. And so these blessings and these promises given to Abraham we're speaking of justification as far back as, as Genesis chapter 12. Um, but still you may ask, just, just as I did, so we see what? We've seen the mention of descendants to Abraham. We've seen the mention of justification, Gentiles' faith. All these things we've seen mentioned, but where's Christ? Right? Isn't the object of our faith Christ? And so where is Christ in these promises? Well, I want to jump ahead, if you will, just... It's probably on the next page it is, as it is in my Bible. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. Because here we see Paul explaining how, this, how the, these promises relate to Christ. Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises, plural, because Abraham re received this covenant and this promise from God several times in different ways. He says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. And so we see Paul explaining for us, as we all know, that the fulfillment of all of these promises to Abraham and these covenants um, were fulfilled in Christ. They were all pointing to Jesus Christ. It was specifically one of Abraham's seed that was going to be the Christ, that was going to bless all of the Gentiles, all of the world by faith. Right? And all the nations would then be justified by faith, just as Abraham was. So we see here how, how these promises, even in Genesis 12, point to Christ already. Um, in verse 9, again, Paul repeats the point uh, in mentioning Abraham's justification. He says, So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And, and this is Paul's point. Paul's point is, because these Gentiles are seeking to be made right. They're seeking to be made a part of the people of God, just as Abraham was. That's what they want. 
That's why Peter's error was so misleading. If you all remember from chapter 2, we saw Peter's error where he at one time fellowshiped with the Gentiles just as if there was nothing else that they needed, um, and then he separated himself from the Gentiles um, and, and began to separate himself and, and hold himself aloof and, and eat only with the Jews, which would have been very misleading to the Gentiles. The, the separation that, that the Apostle Peter um, did at that time would have, would have confused them and would have compelled them to think that they must become Jews in order to become the people of God. And so that's the error that Paul's addressing here, is that it's by faith in the promised Messiah that one is fully made the people of God. There's nothing else that one has to go to. There's no works of the law that one has to do to be brought into any closer fellowship than one could be in. If you want to have the same blessings that Abraham has, you trust in the promised Messiah just as Abraham did. And that's enough. And one could be content with the gospel. Um, but now, in verse 10, Paul's going to say, but, but if you want to choose a different path, if you want to go another way, if you want to go a different way than Abraham did, which was by believing the promises of God, uh, Paul will now show us the result of attempting to gain righteousness through the law. And, and brothers who just walked in, we're in Galatians 3, verse 10. And this is what Paul says here. He says, For as many as are of the works of the law, they are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. And so here we see Paul reiterating the fact that if you're seeking justification by the works of the law, you're putting yourself under a curse. You're putting yourself under a curse. And what Paul does to show this is he quotes the law itself to prove this. And he has several quotes here from the Old Testament to prove this fact, that if you're seeking justification by works of the law, you're accursed. And his first quote that we saw there in verse, in verse 10 is from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. He says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. And we kind of talked about it earlier, that what, why is this true? Why is someone cursed? by attempting to be justified by the, the rules of the law. Because it's impossible. Paul says if you're going to do this, or he's quoting the Old Testament, he says, if you're going to do this, you have to abide by all the things written in the book of the law, insinuating perfectly, flawlessly. If you're attempting to be saved by your righteousness, you must be perfectly righteous. If not, you're cursed. And so it's the impossibility of this um, which is what Paul's bringing up here. The second quote that we see in verse 12 there, this one's from Levitic, Leviticus 18.5. And Paul introduces it by saying this. He says, However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. And so if anyone begins to attempt to live by the works of the law, you must continue that, that perfection. You must live by perfection if you're, in fact, going to live by the law. Which, again, Paul's point is, and they should know this, that this is impossible. 
even the Old Testament, even the fact that um, everyone offered sacrifices um, due to their sins should have immediately notified them that they are not, they're not doing it. That should have been a hint to them that their perfection was not there and that, and that they needed, they did need righteousness. Um, so in between these two quotes, there we have another quote from the Old Testament, another scriptural passage. Um, this is a very clear scriptural passage from Habakkuk 2.4 that says, the righteous man shall live by faith. And so Paul throws this in to show that even the law itself explicitly says this is the key to righteousness. It's by faith. If you're going to live, it must be through faith and not by the works of the law. Okay? So the, so the, the law itself, which is what these Judaizers were trusting in, explicitly shows them that they're cursed if they attempt to be justified by the law, and it explicitly tells them the positive side, which is the righteous man shall live by faith. Um, and so the issue is is now that because as Romans shows us as well that everyone is under this curse of the law everyone must be righteous if we're going to inherit the kingdom of God if we're going to be in God's presence we must be righteous and so this is really everyone's dilemma Um, so here Paul provides the solution to the dilemma here in verse 13 we're seeing just the all important object of our faith Remember, it's not our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith. So that's why it's very important that Paul brings it up here in verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so the object of our faith is Christ. Christ and his sacrificial death is the object of our faith. And so what we see here with the point that Paul's bringing out here is by the raising up of Jesus Christ on a tree is displaying the reality that that Jesus Christ was accursed. He was accursed for us, we know. Um, This reference here in Deuteronomy 21 that Paul quotes is, is pretty interesting because if you go back and read it, Deuteronomy chapter one, or 21 that speaks and has this command for the people of Israel to hang someone on a tree who's been accursed by God. Um, I guess what was interesting to me about when you read Deuteronomy 21, it's not as if um, they were crucifying people at that time. Uh, anyone who was hung on a cross in reference to Deuteronomy 21 was already dead. The people of Israel had already stoned them to death for their sin. And so this was the command in Deuteronomy 21 to stone any any heinous sin, any heinous sinner, an unrepentant um, sinner uh, in the people of of Israel was to be stoned. And not only be stoned, but they were to be hung on a tree to show everyone um, God's curse on sin and God's curse on that sinner in particular for their sin. Um, And just to to add that the, the... the example of the heinous sin in Deuteronomy 21 that is someone's to be stoned and hung for was a rebellious child. It says a rebellious son is the example given of a heinous enough sin that they were to be stoned and to be hung on a cross, or not on a cross, I'm sorry, but hung on a tree to display God's curse of their sin. 
Um, and so Christ was hung on a tree. Um, so we see the sinless one being accursed, of course not for his sin, but being accursed for everyone who he said he was going to be hung on a tree for, for his sheep. Right? Jesus Christ many times throughout his ministry foresaw his, his death and his resurrection both actually. Um, he said that nobody takes his life from him, but he lays it down for his sheep. Um, and lastly, let's look here at verse 14, because we see one additional part of the promised blessings that were made to Abraham. He says that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit. Um, and so again, the Galatians should have been assured by the fact that they had received the Spirit of God, that they had, in fact, received the blessings of Abraham. The promise of the Spirit was included in, in these promises that should have assured these people that they were blessed by God. Um, there was no need to try and keep the law to earn a better spot in the kingdom of God for the Galatians. They had, in fact, been sealed by the Spirit of God, and they should have been resting in that. And they should have been resting by faith in the promises of God and not um, sought to go elsewhere, which was namely through law-keeping. Right? Does anybody have any questions? That, that's as far as really I wanted to go. Yes, sir? Well, I just wanted to make a comment about the law, mm -hmm. um, and that is that, you know, what made the law a curse was not the law mm -hmm. so much as, you know, like Romans teaches, the weakness of the flesh, mm -hmm. because the flesh cannot perform the, the demands of the law. The law you know, according to mm -hmm. Romans 7, is good and holy and mm -hmm. right. You know, so right. it wasn't like God gave us something that was an error. Mm -hmm. Like God made a mistake by giving us his law because his law couldn't justify Right. But yeah. it was, no, it was, it was sin that prohibits us from being able, like you said, mm -hmm. you know, to obey the law fully. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like, you know, God gave us the perfect standard because that's the only standard he could give us. Mm -hmm. You know, so any deficiency, any curse... And, you know, incurred by the law is because of our inability to keep it, mm -hmm. not because it's, you know, not just because it can curse you somehow. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Because of our own depravity, mm -hmm. the, the law becomes a curse. I mean, the law was meant to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just read Leviticus 26, you know, it was meant to be a blessing mm -hmm. to the people. Do this and be blessed, mm -hmm. you know. So blessings for obedience, curse for disobedience. You know, so it's just, yeah. like you said, our greatest dilemma is that we cannot keep the law. Mm -hmm. So we need somebody to keep it for us. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's maybe a good intro to what we'll talk about next week with uh, really the intent of why did God give us this law. If we had the promise of justification way back in Genesis 12, why did God bring in this law, right, hundreds and hundreds of years later? after the promise of justification, after already had preached the gospel to Abraham, he says, why hundreds of years later does God bring in this law? That's what, really what we'll get into next week. Josh, do you have something? I just wanted to comment. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Mm. I think it's uh, the same side of a different coin. You can see the uniformity of the apostolic doctrine there. Mm -hmm. you know, And that's something we ought to take mm -hmm. serious. Like, it's cool that God works that way, you know. Mm -hmm. You can say it a different way with somebody else, but there's still that uniformity amongst the apostolic doctrine. Especially between James and Paul. That's, that's what I'm saying, especially yeah. for those that favor Lutheran stuff, you know. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful. 
Yeah, so next week we really will get into why this law, why did God give this law to Moses um, if we already had the gospel preached to us? That's what we'll, we'll study next week. Um, Amelia, you want to close us in prayer oh, sure. as we go? Yeah. Well, Father, uh, thank you uh, for this day. Thank you that we can gather together. Lord, we do thank you for the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we can remember it, Lord, not just today, but every day. Lord, I know so many people today all around the body of Christ are commemorating the resurrection, Lord, and we just, we think of the resurrection, Lord, even in conjunction to what was spoken here today. Uh, Romans uh, 4, verse 25 says that we were justified because of his resurrection. And so, God, we just, we're so grateful for the life of your son. Thank you that he gives his life because of his life and because he lives, we will live. Thank you, Lord, for um, the gift of faith. Thank you that we are justified, not on the basis of anything that we've done, not on the basis of our own merit, our own performance. God, thank you for just the, the, the purity of your grace, your sovereign grace, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.